my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. The crowd had a bloodlust that had to be satisfied. And these two criminals were part of that satisfaction. We don't know anything about them, but we know that that day they were going to suffer an ugly, ugly execution. Maybe they were just two criminals who had robbed some place and someone had died. And now they're going to be publicly executed. Maybe they were revolutionaries. They were trying to overthrow the government and they got caught and the government was going to make an example of them. We don't know. Maybe they were just cold-blooded murderers, and they were on the receiving end of eye-for-an-eye justice. We do know this. The crowd cheered and jeered for blood. But it wasn't for the blood of these two criminals. It was the blood, for the blood of a Hebrew rabbi named Jesus. Just hours before, they had been yelling things such as, "'Crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be on our hands and the hands of our children.'" When all three were on the crosses, one of the, the criminals yelled over to Jesus and he said, hey, Messiah, if you're so good, why don't you do that Messiah gig and pull both of us or all three of us off of the cross? But what was interesting is one criminal got it right. At the lowest moment in his life, he screams over to the other criminal and says, shut up, stop it. We deserve what we're getting. We are guilty, but this man is innocent. Then he looks at Jesus, and he says these words, Jesus, Yeshua, the one who saves, remember me when you enter your kingdom. It's a simple confession. We're guilty. We're guilty for what we did. A simple request, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus gives a simple response. I assure you that on this day, you will be with me in paradise. And at that time, grace meets truth with a holy kiss, and I don't get it. I don't understand how it works. You know, I call it Jesus math. In our math, one plus one equals two, right? But in Jesus math, it's one criminal plus one Savior equals zero condemnation. One plus one equals zero. It's Jesus' math. Or how about this? Five loaves of bread plus two fish equals seven things in our eyes, but not to Jesus. To Jesus, that means 
5,000 men being fed, that means when you add the women and children, up to 15 to 25,000 people being fed. It makes no sense. It's Jesus' math. How about this one? A broken disciple, one broken disciple who's denied Jesus three times, plus the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people in a matter of minutes realize that they need to receive this Jesus as Savior and Lord. Or this one, an imperfect you or an imperfect me, plus a perfect Savior equals zero condemnation. See, you don't have to understand it to apply it to your life. It's Jesus' math. And, and, and the beauty about it is that it's all about the grace of Jesus. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Our sin doesn't disqualify us from His grace. Our sin doesn't disqualify us from His grace. Think about that. You and me come to the feet of Jesus with all of the junk in our lives, and we're lying to ourselves if we say we don't have junk. We've got stuff in our lives, every single one of us. And we can come to the feet of Jesus, we can drop it in His lap, He grabs it with His two nail-pierced arms, and He doesn't slap us down. He receives us. He gives us His grace. And we get to walk with Him. His grace, His unmerited favor. Well, God's got a lot to say about that. Welcome to week two of our six-week series called Anchored in Hope. It's in this series in which we're dialing down on the fact that, that our hope can only be found really in one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus. We need to be anchored in Jesus because as we saw last Sunday night in Las Vegas, humanity steps up to the plate and strikes out. We can have hope for a lot of things, but Jesus will never strike out at the plate. We'll run into suffering in our lives. We'll have death. We'll have grief. Where is our hope in those times? Where's our hope when we struggle with a temptation? Where's our, where's our hope when we biff it so badly and we can't get up because we've screwed up so badly? That's what we're going to talk about today. What happens when you make a mistake and you can't get back on that horse? Well, God's got a lot to say about that. We're going to be talking today about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. So turn in your Bibles, and, and let me set the scene for what's going on while you're turning there. Uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus is most likely in the second year of his three-year earthly ministry. Up to this time, he said some things. He said some things like, I'm the Son of God. I'm the bread of life. But here's the thing. He's backed up those things with miracles turning water to wine, giving the blind the ability to see, the lame the ability to walk. And the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, are upset because he's a threat to their power base, so they fear him. They fear him because he's going to expose them for who they really are, frauds, failures, and hypocrites. So what they do is they set up a trap for Jesus. They want to expose him as the fraud, as the failure, and as the hypocrite. So let's look at the measures they're going to go to in John chapter 8. Let's look at the first three verses. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law, these guys are also known as the scribes. So as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front 
of the crowd. No one speaks in the Bible more about sleeping around on your spouse. No one speaks more in the Bible about this thing called adultery, the seventh commandment, than Jesus. And what we have in this is that a woman has been caught in the act. So in that time, it was brutal. When someone was caught in the act of adultery, you stone them. And that's pretty, pretty ugly. Verse 3 says that she was brought in front of Jesus. So Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. He's, he's a Jewish rabbi. So picture Jesus. He's sitting in a chair at the temple because the Jewish rabbis would sit when they teach. And, and picture this room being that temple. And somebody busts through the doors and they've got a woman they've caught in adultery. They, they drag her in front of Jesus. So who are the scribes and Pharisees? Let's talk about them for a second. Scribes are a professional class of writers and lawyers. And what they would do is they would take the Mosaic Law, and in our terms, they would write legal briefs of the Mosaic Law. And they'd feed this over to the Pharisees. The Pharisees would then teach those things, and they would be part also of the enforcement of the Mosaic Law. Now, Jewish law was strict. If you were caught in the act of adultery, here are some things that had to happen. First of all, it had to be the man and the woman caught in adultery, not just the woman in this story. So we already got an issue with the way she's being treated here. The man and the woman are caught, and they're caught physically in the act. And as they're caught in the act, you have to have multiple eyewitnesses. And then the accusers, they're going to be the ones to throw the first stone. That's important in our story. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So look at what they did. They put her in front of the crowd. Not only are they conducting an unfair trial, they're humiliating her. They're taking away any dignity that this, this woman has left. And if we know anything about Jesus, he's all about dignity. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That means Jesus is, Jesus is the Word. So Jesus was there at the creation. Jesus is creator. Jesus creates us, and he creates us to be treated with dignity. He creates us equally. It's why in Jesus' eyes, racism is a sin. It's why in Jesus' eyes, he takes equality of the sexes very, very seriously. That's for another sermon at another time. So we've got this woman. We don't know anything about her. She says, in fact, the passage that I have today, she says only two words at all. I picture her, her hair's disheveled, most likely. I imagine her robe's ripped. Uh, they had caught her in the act, so they told the man, get out of here, most likely. And they, they take her, and they drag her in there. My guess would be, this is speculation, that she was slapped around a little bit as they brought her in, because they're going to make an example out of her. I picture her looking down at the dirt. She's caught in her shame. We don't know if she's had a, a long-time affair going, or if this was just a, a one-time one thing. But her past had caught up with her. Have you ever had your past catch up with you? You know, it's that time when you've, you've really screwed up in your life and you don't even want to get out of bed. You think about it and you just pull the covers over your head. You, you can't think about it. It's a horrific mistake you've made. And we've probably all made some form of mistakes because we're human. Maybe it's with an addiction. You know, you got the, the main addictions out there. You got gambling, porn, uh, alcohol, and drugs. But what about some other addictions that some of us run into? Like the addiction of people-pleasing or the addiction of gossiping. 
How about the addiction of getting, always choosing the wrong friends in your life, and they take you down to that lousy place, and you end up once again face down in the dirt with these friends, friends around you, and you're going, how did I get here? Or maybe you're on your third, fourth, or fifth marriage, and, and you're looking at your spouse going, why did I choose this one again? I got it wrong again. We all make mistakes. But here's the thing. We run into problems when we think that because we've made mistakes, we are mistakes, because that's not true. We need to believe what God says about us rather than what our past says about us. We need to believe what God says about us rather than what our past says about us. When, when our past says guilty, God says forgiven. When our past says darkness, God says light. When our past says you are alone, God says, no, 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 you're mine. And when your past says stone her, God says, not on my watch. We can't live the life God called us to live when we're defined by our past, when we define ourselves by our past. God doesn't do it, and we shouldn't either. So back to our story. You've got this unnamed woman, and she is going through the worst day in her life because she is going to be declared guilty, and she's going to be stoned. She's a train wreck. Philip Yancey once said that, that grace, like water, flows down to its lowest point. She is at her lowest point, but she's about to receive grace unimaginable. Now, remember our main tagline today, our sin doesn't separate us from His grace, verses 4 through 6. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. It's a two-for trap. See, they, they're going to win on this one, the Pharisees think, because first of all, they're going to win by showing all of the Jewish people that they are the moral authority, that they are the moral police. Step out of line, break the Mosaic law, God's going to cut you down and he's going to use us for that. To them, it's a win. But then they've got this double-edged sword type twofer trap for Jesus. Jesus is in a mess because if he says that she should not be stoned, then as a rabbi, they're going to prove that he's a, he's a fake. Because any rabbi would say, no, that she deserves to be stoned, even though they're not applying the law completely. If, they, if Jesus says, stone her, he's in violation of Roman law, which says that the Jewish leadership couldn't conduct public executions. In the words of the great theologian Bruce Springsteen, baby, this town, it's the bones from your back. It's a death trap. It's a suicide rap. We got to get out while we're young, but tramps like us, baby, we are born to run, but she can't run. She can't hide. She is stuck right here in the middle of her mess, and the ball has been served into Jesus's court. Let's look what he does. Look at the rest of verse six. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. What? Jesus is doodling in the dirt? Here's what's interesting. Biblical scholars have sparred over these handfuls of words for centuries. Some of them have said, no, Jesus is, is writing down all the names of the Pharisees in the dirt, and then he's going to wipe them away because as far as the east is from the west, so our sins will be removed, Psalm 103. Some have said, no, 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 he's writing out grace in Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew, I think we overthink these things. Personally, I, what I think, I think Jesus was disgusted at the way his religious leaders were conducting themselves and had led the Jewish nation. 
I mean, remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So Jesus was there in the beginning. That means if Jesus was there in the beginning, He was there when Moses got the law. He was there as God chose the Jewish people as His chosen people. And these leaders had failed miserably. They were supposed to be a light to the dark world. They were supposed to be, be able to bring the light of God to the Gentiles. And they had snuffed out that light. I think He didn't want to look at them at all. It's just me. Let's keep going, verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, all right, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When Jesus says this, he's calling out the leaders because he knew they knew the law. Back in Deuteronomy 17, verses 6 and 7, read it on your own. I put it in your link. Um, Back in Deuteronomy 17, it lays out if someone is going to be stoned for punishment, the accuser has to cast the first stone. And it's not like, eh, and the stone goes, you know, like three feet and doesn't hit anybody. It's like, okay, I casted the first stone. No, it's got to clock them. It's got to make contact. It's got to hit hard. The reason why is the accusers were least likely to make a false claim if they have to pound a stone into someone's head. So Jesus' response here is brilliant because he knew that these Pharisees knew the law. He knew that they knew the intent of the law. Let's keep on going, verses 8 and 9. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Look where Jesus is. Jesus is left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. He's there right there in the middle of her mess. The older men leave first probably because they were more learned in the law and they knew the intent. Remember our main thought, our sin doesn't disqualify us from His grace. Jesus doesn't throw out the law just to show grace, but He also doesn't, doesn't uphold the law impractically and unfairly to punish the woman. He specifically does one thing. He calls out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He calls out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders because Jesus hates hypocrisy. He hates it. Jesus hates hypocrisy. He, he hated it 2,000 years ago, and he hates it now. He hated it within the religious establishment then. He hates it now. He hated it within the hearts of others then. He hates it now. And as I read this, I, I want to say, Jesus, stick it to the man. Yeah, drop him like a toilet seat. You, Jesus, you rock. But then I got to look myself in the mirror because how many times have I judged someone without knowing the facts, judged someone without knowing what was going on in their life and their response to something I said was because of something else? How many times have I picked up that proverbial stone on Facebook or Twitter or how many, how many times on, on, as I text or email that I've said something that wasn't covered in grace? Because remember, Jesus creates us in His own image to be treated equally, to be treated with dignity. As I think about that, I, something comes to mind and it's this. We are all broken shards of glass made whole through the grace of Jesus. Every single one of us are broken, broken shards of glass. We all have something going on in our lives, and only Jesus can make us whole. It's Jesus' math. Our brokenness plus a perfect Savior equals hope for the future. So 
So you got this broken woman, and she's standing in front of perfection, Jesus, and he doesn't shame her. He doesn't slam her. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't take away any of her dignity. He asks her two simple questions. Look at what he does, verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. Only two words she says, no, Lord. She said, and Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Neither do I go and sin no more. I picture her standing in front of her Savior because he, he's saving her life that day. And I think she feels one thing she's never felt before in her life when she's standing in front of a man. I think she felt a sense of worth. Jesus didn't spare her life so he could have her intimately. He didn't spare her life so she could be part of his disciple group and, and they can go out and make money so he could do that Jesus thing ministry. No, he spared her for one reason and one reason only. And it's because of his love. And from his love flows his grace. And she receives that grace as she's standing in the middle of her brokenness. As she's standing in the middle of her mess, on the worst day of her life, she can do nothing to receive this grace, yet Jesus extends his grace to her. He does it for, did it for her and he does it for us. And it's a very important theological point that all Christ followers have to land on, and it's this. God's grace isn't something we achieve. It's something we receive. God's grace isn't something we achieve. It's not something we can work for. Because as we know in the Bible, it says that we, we, if it's something we can work for, we can boast about it. But think about this. If we could boast about it, that means we could judge others with it. Man, did you see that guy? What a schlep. I can't believe he's going to rot in hell. Or she's such a beautiful saint. She choked on her chicken bone yesterday, and now she's with the angels in heaven looking down upon us. You see, we could make those judgment calls if we could work our way into heaven. It doesn't work that day. It's what sets us apart from all the other religions on the planet is God's grace. Jesus is looking at this woman, and he doesn't feel disgust. He doesn't show disappointment. And that's important for all of us to know. If, if, hear my heart on this one, because this is so important. If you think God looks at you with disappointment, you don't know the heart of Jesus. If you think on your worst day, when you're down in the dirt, face down in your vomit, you've messed up royally, and God's sitting there going, I can't believe this. Jesus says, my God. And he says, yes. And Jesus says, can you believe this? He's such a disappointment. You don't know Jesus because God is not that way. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Whether it's a good day or a bad day. You are a child created in the image of God. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus. He doesn't look at you as a disappointment. If you think he, he looks at you as a disappointment, you don't know the heart of Jesus. So I wonder if Jesus, when he's sitting there and he's doodling in the dirt, I just wonder, speculation, I wonder if he thinks of a conversation he had about a year before with one of the leaders of the Pharisees, a guy named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus most likely got it right. 
he was very intrigued with Jesus. So he meets him in the middle of the night, and he asks all these questions. Jesus responds in two very famous verses, John 3, verses 16 to 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, get this, get this, not to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. In uh, this past summer, I think it was in July, we were doing, this summer we did the Romans series, and I think it was July that, that Pastor Brian and I team taught Romans chapter 8. So he kicked off Romans chapter 8 with, with the, the first verse. There's no condemnation, and this is important, there's no condemnation for those found in Christ Jesus. And then I wrapped up the backside of it where, where Paul writes that there's no separation, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's the bookends that, in one of the most incredible uh, books in the Bible of Romans, the bookends of no condemnation and no separation. And we look at this story and we can say, oh, it's such a beautiful story. It's, it is. It's a beautiful story of grace and love and redemption and restoration because it is. But we can leave off those last five words of verse 11. Look at these again. The, the last five words of verse 11, go and sin no more. It's the reason why I, I think she was guilty of adultery. It doesn't really matter what I think. But when you, break out, when you break out the passage, it looks as though Jesus is referring to adultery. He's saying, don't be perfect. He's saying, go and don't commit adultery again. And what we want to hear, what we want to hear is neither do I condemn you. Jesus does the Jesus mic drop, and then he moonwalks on water out of the room. That's what I want to hear, but he doesn't. He says, go and sin no more. So what does that mean? He's not calling us to be perfect. We have this thing called skin on us, and because of that, we're going to make mistakes. He inspires the Apostle John to write these words. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So what does that look like? It looks like this. You're face, face down in the dirt, you've messed up, and you've got the enemy's boot right on your neck. And Jesus says, just say my name. Confess the sin. Make amends for what you've done. Then stand up and get back into the arena to fight because we've got a fight, and it's a fight against hate. When humanity strikes out at the plate in Las Vegas, love conquers that. And we can't fight in that fight if we're face down in the dirt. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with this. When I mess up, you know, I do all those things. I confess my sin. I got my accountability partner. You know, Brian, you can't believe what I did. And he's like, okay, and we pray together. I, I make amends for it. But then I walk away, and for weeks, I won't be forgiving myself. And I had to think about that because if I'm not forgiving myself, but I'm saying, God forgave me, but I'm not going to forgive myself, who am I putting my trust in for the forgiveness of my sins? It puts me up on the throne and puts Jesus back up on the cross when it really should be me packing the cross, denying myself and following Him, and Him being up on the throne. If you are having a, tr a problem right now forgiving yourself, who are you putting your trust in for the forgiveness of your sin? Jesus says, go and sin no more. I love you. You are mine. I don't condemn you. Think about what it took for Him to say, neither do I condemn you. He went through six trials, at which time he was beaten and mocked and beaten and mocked. He was filleted open and not placed on a cross, but slammed against a cross, nailed to a cross. 
And then he died of asphyxiation. See, when we just say, neither do I condemn you and go out and do our own thing, it cheapens what he did. It's actually cheap grace. Cheap grace. It's, it cost Jesus greatly to say, neither do I condemn you. I've got this saying. I've preached here. I, I've lost count of how many times I've preached. And there's a saying that I use in a whole bunch of the, the, the sermons that I give. And it's, it's the gospel in nine words or less. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. Bad things, all the junk in our lives, all of our imperfections, all the times we screw up, all the things that happen to us, the things of this world, bad things, but they're made good through Jesus, either on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity. He's going to make good of all those bad things because He loves us. It's, it's a gospel message that's soaked with grace, but if it's just grace with no truth, it's cheap grace. Jesus Jesus calls on us to walk in His truth and live in His grace. When we mess up, we own it, and we move forward. And He's not there to slap us down. Leads us back to some Jesus math. Here we go, coming fast. Jesus math formulas for you mathematicians who are loving this. Grace minus truth. Grace minus truth equals cheap grace. Grace minus truth equals cheap grace. But for those of you who have maybe a legalistic bent or a little pharisaical, how about this one? Truth minus grace equals legalism and condemnation. Truth minus grace equals condemnation and legalism. But grace plus truth, grace plus truth meets with a holy kiss, and it's a holy kiss from Jesus. So God gives us parameters found in His Word, and we do our best to interpret it as best we can. And so, we got these truths, and we, we walk in grace, not only grace for ourselves, excuse me, but grace for others. Hebrews chapter 4 says that God's Word is a double-edged sword, and so often as Christ followers, we want to we get that sword, man, we want to jab it in and, and just jab it into someone, and just keep jabbing it because it pierces to the bone and marrow. What if what if we as Christ followers would take that double-edged sword and pierce our hearts with it to where we're more concerned about loving God greatly, loving others well, and living this life He's called us to live by, by looking at ourselves in the mirror and getting our own act together rather than stabbing people with God's Word? That'd be pretty powerful if you ask me. You got grace and you got truth, and you got to walk in it. So what does that look like? How many of you ever, have ever skydived? Anybody here? A couple of you? Um, I don't. I jumped in. So 28 years in the Army, about four and a half years I was in, uh, in a Special Forces unit jumping out of airplanes. And so when you jump out of airplanes in that situation, it's uh, about 200 pounds of stuff strapped to you. You got your weapons and all that fun stuff. And I would just do what are called static line jumps. I wasn't one of those really cool guys that got to jump at 15,000 feet. They, they're handsome too. I wasn't one of those guys. With me, you, you look like a turtle. And you waddle out either the side door and then you get sucked out. You get a four-second free fall, hopefully no more than that, because if it's more than that, you got to pull the reserve parachute. Or you fall out of the side of the helicopter. Or you go out of the back of the helicopter or off the ramp of the, of the airplane. And your parachute opens, and you descend at 18 feet per second, which is pretty fast, but it's a controlled descent. And then you 
land on the ground like a sack of potatoes. And it hurts. And I'm a half an inch shorter because of that. I entered the army when I was 17. I was five feet, 10 plus. And I left the army when I was 46 in 2009. And I'm now five feet, eight and some change, nine and some change. So I'm not going to do this skydiving gig. But people who do the skydiving gig, what they do, they pay the money, uh, they get ground training, they get actions in the aircraft training, and then they get, they get snap link to a jump master. Hopefully he or she has had a whole lot of jumps. And they snap link him to the jump master. The jump master says, here's what you got to do. I, you can't flail your hands around. I need you to listen to me because if you do, your hand going into the wrong place, you can spin us out. When we get ready to land, I need your feet and knees together. Pull them up into your chest. Don't start running around because could, you could break your legs and it could be catastrophic. And what God calls us to do with this thing called grace and truth, we snap link into him and we listen to where he tells us to go and we do our best. And when we mess up, he doesn't cut us away. It's like, oh man, can't believe that. Gone. Done with you. No. We make amends, we listen to him, we try to make some correction, and we fly the canopy. That's what God calls us to do. Our sin doesn't disqualify us from his grace. He says, do your best, walk with me. Author Mike Foster wrote a great book. It's called People of a Second Chance. It's an amazing book. And he said this in this book. He said, freedom isn't the ability to do what we want. It's the ability to become who God desires us to be. You see, we think freedom is just about grace, but it's really more, there's more freedom when you work with grace and truth. There's protection that's there. There's wisdom that's there. And the more we do that, the wiser we get. So you got these two criminals, and they're on their crosses. And where is Jesus' cross? It's in the middle. It's in the middle. A criminal on his worst day does a simple confession and a simple request, and there's Jesus in the middle of his mess. A woman's caught in adultery. She's dragged in front of Jesus, a sham trial, and she, all of her dignity is taken away from her. She's going to die. It's the worst day of her life, and where is Jesus? Right there in the middle of her mess. And for you, for me, when we biff it bad and we're face down in the dirt, where's Jesus? He's right there with us in the middle of our mess. His grace, like water, flows to the lowest point. The real question is, will you trust him? One last math formula. One cross plus one Savior equals hope for the world. One cross plus one Savior equals hope for the world. Hope for our future. Hope in our messes. Hope in His grace. I never want to walk out of here without giving you guys a challenge. Here's your challenge this week. Out in the commons, there are buckets of rocks. You can take as many as you want, but I'd ask you to take at least one rock. And I want you to carry a rock around with you this week. Everywhere you go, carry this rock. Because here's the deal. It's not prophetic, it's just a fact. We're all going to mess up. And it may be something big, it may be something small, whatever. But when you mess up, I want you to hang on to this rock. Picture yourself looking in the mirror and you're like, oh, you're so stupid. And as you get ready to throw that rock, picture 
Jesus' arm around you. And he looks you in the eyes. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Drop the stone. But there's a second part to this. Second part is this. Sometime this week, someone probably is going to upset you. Sometime this week, someone may cut you off, and you want to tell them they're number one in not so uh, godly way. Someone may say something to you, and you just want to spew venom at them, and you got your, your rock, and you're ready to throw that rock at them. Before you do, grab the rock. Picture Jesus with his arm around that person, no matter what they've done to you, because he creates us all equally with dignity. And he looks that person in the eye and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then drop the stone. Louis Giglio once said that grace has a name, and his name is Jesus. This week, be anchored in Jesus. Be anchored in hope. Be anchored in grace. All right, Skagit, I'm going to turn you guys over to Pastor Brian. Thank you for joining us today. Boca Raton, Florida, we are always so glad that you're with us and part of our church family. And for those of you joining us online, thanks for being with us. At this time here in Bellingham, let's go ahead and stand for our closing song. Thanks. Thanks.